0: So I have a question. Why do we think that we should not talk publicly about two of what is arguably the things that impact us most in life? Politics and religion. Why do we have this construct in our culture, our society, that says we should not talk publicly about politics or religion? You know why we don't agree. And it's going to end up being a fight. And somehow, we have lost the ability to accept people who think other than us. And sometimes radically different. In our culture, we've lost it. In our society, we've lost that. And to some degree, I wonder how much we've lost that in the church as well. So today, just because I can, we're going to talk about politics And religion. We just took part in a political statement. By celebrating communion, we're declaring that Jesus is Lord until his return. And if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is king, if Jesus is president, prime minister, world leader, then that means nobody else is. So I'm going to invite you with me this morning to make a declarative statement that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Let's say it again. Jesus is Lord. That is a political statement. Today's reading, as we go through Luke and we're nearing the end of Luke, is about Jesus, his politics, and his religion, and some political religious groups that interact with him. So I want to read this story from you from Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 27. So remember last week, Jesus was pegged with the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said, give me a coin, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And if you missed last week, you need to go back and listen to that because you'll find out how much belongs to God. You probably know the answer to that, but listen to it anyway. Verse 27, Luke 20. Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And they posed this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who would carry on the brother's name. So that was a law that they tried to live by. If a, man's wife, or if a man died, the brothers in the family would take her as a wife, the next brother, the next oldest brother. Well, suppose there were seven brothers, and the oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow... But he also died. Then the third brother married her, and he died. And this continued with all seven of them who died without children. This sounds like a movie that you'd be watching, right? And you're like, what's up with this woman? Finally, the woman died. So tell us, teacher, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven of them were married to her. Don't forget what we were just told by Luke. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So Jesus replied, marriage is for people here on earth, but in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will, they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like the angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. But now as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, He referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God is the God of the living, not the dead, because they are all alive to him. "'Well said, teacher,' remarked some of the religious teachers of religious law who were standing there, and then no one dared ask him any more questions. But then Jesus presented them with a question. "'Well, why is it,' he said, "'that the Messiah is said to be the son of David?' For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how could the Messiah be his son? Because a king would never do that to his son. And then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples. Remember this? Throughout Luke's gospel, there's different groups, and it doesn't mean that they're not there when he's talking to one group, so he's still talking to all of them. But he turns to the crowds, and he says to the disciples, "'Beware of these teachers of religious law, "'for they like to prate around in flowing robes "'and love to receive respectful greetings "'as they walk in the marketplaces. "'How they love the seats of honor in the synagogues "'and at the head table at banquets, "'yet they shamelessly, shamelessly cheat widows out of their property.'" And then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. And while he was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two pennies. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything. That is a beautiful, wonderful, politically charged conversation. There's three groups in this scenario with Jesus. The Sadducees, um, what I read for you is teachers of religious law. The literal wording are scribes who were probably part of the Pharisaical group, the Pharisees. So you've got the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and particularly the scribes who were involved with them, the, the elite. Um, religious leaders among the Pharisees, and then you've got the crowd and the widow. And I want to just tease out a little bit from each of these three groups and the interaction they have with Jesus. So you've maybe heard about the Sadducees. They're not often mentioned in the Gospels. They're kind of a group that's there, but we we don't have a lot of information about them in the Gospels, but we know quite a bit about them. They were politically motivated, they were the kind of people that said Herod is king because he got Rome to put him in place as king. Better to work with Roman Herod than to work against them. So they were considered somewhat liberal in their their willingness to compromise their religion by partnering with the local authorities and the local government. And of course, Luke says they didn't believe in the resurrection. So you read in verse 27... That the, fair, the Sadducees came to Jesus, but they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they had some um, particular interpretation of Scripture. And they just decided, you know, we can make compromises to try to make this work. They, they had political gain by aligning themselves with the government of the time. Um, they, I think, became fairly wealthy by aligning themselves with the politics of the day. And they were certainly not very good friends with the Pharisees. And then they have this question to Jesus about marriage. And they think that they're going to stump him, just like they did last week. The other group did last week with the question about taxes and And everyone knows they don't believe in the resurrection, but they understand the Scriptures. And so they're saying to Jesus, well, if we're supposed to do this and seven guys all are married to the same woman, who does she belong to in the next life? And I love that Jesus just doesn't play into uh, what they're trying to bait him with. And he effectively says, you know, they're not going to be married or given in marriage. In other words, in, the, in part of this, what I love that Luke does here is in the next life, women are no longer going to be property of men. And I love that he does that. And then he talks about how things are different in the next life. And I thought, you know, there's a political exchange taking here and there's a few things that we could probably learn about the politics of Jesus in this and the politics of the Sadducees that maybe apply today, because you've got to ask yourself the question, what can we extrapolate out of this conversation that kind of fits our scenario today? Who are the, the Sadducees of today? So let's talk a little bit about the politics of Jesus based on this conversation. And here's a few things that I would suggest. It doesn't mean that they're all right. It doesn't mean that there's no more. You might see other things. These are just some of the suggestions that I would make. And it's simply this. Your view of the afterlife, your view of eternity, has a direct impact on how you live now. And along with that, God cares about your body just as much as he cares about your soul sometimes I think we've gotten too caught up in the church about some life to come where we all get to be spirits and float around in heaven with God. And I actually don't think that's a very accurate biblical representation about what eternity is going to be like. Because as you read through the scriptures, you realize that God will make a new heaven and a new earth, and he will come to us and he will reign with us on this new earth. That physical existence matters to God and that our view of the afterlife is going to have a direct impact on how we treat each other now because our bodies are important. What happens to us here and now are important as well as our souls, our spirits, whatever you want to refer to that as. And that means that we're going to be political. And I think the third thing that I draw out of this is they were so caught up in like, Well, how's this all going to work? Because that's really important. And what they realized from having a conversation with Jesus is that some of the things we think are so important now may not be in God's kingdom. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your own um, spiritual growth and personal growth, but some of the things when we were younger that we were convinced were so important. As we've gotten older, we've realized maybe not so much. And I'm pretty sure in my own life that some of the things I've been really convinced about God's going to say to me, dude, why are you so worked up about that? Did you forget about me in the mix of all of this? So there's just a few suggestions about how the politics and religion of Jesus can speak into our own politics and faith today. But there's another group. See, Jesus answers this question, does a good job, and then one of the scribes, and again, I read for you, it says teachers of religious law. Um, The word literally is uh, where we get our word scribe from. They are the religious elite, um, probably part of the Pharisee group. And uh, Jesus stumps the Sadducees, and so this political opponent, this religious opponent says, way to go, teacher, you sure put them in their spot. And, and you can just see this playing out. And then Jesus turns and he has a conversation with this other group. So who were the Pharisees? Well, they were much more conservative than the Sadducees. Where the Sadducees were, were, they would look at some of the scriptures and say, yeah, we don't like that, we're not going to hold to that. The Pharisees were very much like, we have got to live by the letter of the law. If only we could get the whole nation to do everything that's in the Torah all 613 laws that we've come up with that we found in the Torah, if everybody would obey all of them, then the Messiah would come back and he would kick Rome's butt and get them out of here and we would rule. We would once again be like we were when David was king. That's the Pharisees. And Jesus accused them sometimes of swallowing a camel while they were trying to strain a gnat with their nitpickiness and trying to administrate the Torah, or the law of God. And so in verse 44, Jesus asked them this question based from Psalm 110. If David said to my Lord, sit at my feet until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, how then could he call the Messiah Lord and the Messiah be his son? In other words, the person that you think you're expecting as Messiah, you're wrong. And he's playing his hand a little bit, I think, saying, you know, look no further. They've been right here in front of you all the time, but you've missed it. And I think that Jesus has more exchange with the Pharisees than any other group. And I think part of it is he was very closely aligned with them in so many ways. And yet he could say to them, you are so close to the kingdom of God and yet so far. Because you refuse to open your eyes and see what God is doing right in front of you. Because your rules and your laws have become more important than mercy and justice and recognizing me in front of you. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, watch out for these guys, particularly these scribes, these religious leaders. They look so good, so polished. Every time I read this, it makes me cringe when I think about myself. They look, because I look good. That's what I'm talking about, so. They are so polished and shiny and pious on the outside. But so much of what they're doing is cheating the poor and the marginalized, the widows and the orphans. And they think it's okay. Be careful. And so I think there's a few political implications from this exchange that he has with Pharisees. That if you're serious about following Jesus... As Lord, then that means elevating for and caring for the poor and the marginalized. That the sacred and secular are not separate. We touched on this last week in paying taxes to Caesar and giving to God what is God's. And somewhere along the line, we kind of thought, yeah, we need to separate state and church. And yet in this day, and I just think, if you're serious about following Jesus, it is going to have a direct impact on the way that you do politics. Politics literally means caring for the city. I Let me just make this clear. Today I thought about wearing my red shirt and my blue pants and an orange and a green sock. Then I thought, that wouldn't be much different than I dress other times, so I better be appropriate on how I dress. I am not advocating for a Christian state. Far from it. Because every time the church gets in bed with the state, the state takes over, and all you need to do is read your history to find out how terrible it turns out. So I am not in favor of those who advocate We need to have a Christian state and a Christian prime minister and we need to force our Christian laws on everyone in this country. And if we do that, somehow God will feel better about us. That was exactly what was going on here in these conversations with Jesus and he would have nothing to do with it. But I do think our faith drives our politics. You're free to disagree with me. You are free to be wrong. Because in another exchange Jesus had with his followers, he said, seek first my kingdom, and the other things will take care of themselves. So I think that when we seek first the kingdom of God, that's the way we do politics. And it always involves this next group of people. That's the crowd, the widow. See, this story about the widow, when you read your Bible... Along the line, the original um, writings didn't have chapters and verses. That's something that got added in the last eight, 900 years. I forget the date, but some guy thought, hey, let's put chapters and verses. It'll make it easier to follow along. Great, really helpful. But what we do then is we think that the widow giving her offering is part of something else. It's connected with his conversation with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and we need to keep it together that's this next group in the politics that play out with it so who are the crowd who is this widow that's part of this crowd they're the survivors they are the people with no power that are often experiencing injustice at the hands of those who are in power and the one thing that they show again and again is complete trust in god and in each other to care for each other and i think that's has huge political implications So in this section from verse 45 in chapter 20, right through to verse 4 in chapter 21, here's just a synopsis of it. With the crowds listening while Jesus was in the temple, a poor widow came by and dropped in two coins. And then Jesus, referencing those who had already given, said they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. I think there are some political implications that come out of this. That the poor and the marginalized are our example. That God, throughout the scriptures, favors the poor, the marginalized, the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. That when it comes to our politics, God invites you to give your all to him. That's that declarative statement Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then nobody else can be, including you. And that means you take your daily instructions from him. And then if you want to be great in this life, if you truly want to be great in God's kingdom, from Jesus' perspective, Learn from the least and become like them. Last thing the politics of the widow. This lady in this story, the politics of the widow could also be described as the politics of sacrificial giving. And if I could sum up the politics of Jesus in one phrase, it would be this right here. The politics of sacrificial giving. This is how Jesus models for us how things work in his kingdom, what he wants from his people, how he wants society to care for one another. And this kind of leads to um, our own scenario here at new life, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about sacrificial giving for our situation here as we live out the political implications of caring for each other, of caring for our community, of caring for our region, of, of modeling who Jesus is and what he offers people as we become his hands and his feet. So a number of months ago, back at the end of April, Rosemary, our treasurer, stood up here, and she talked about our. um, we give a quarterly report on our finances. And at that point, we said, like, we're doing okay. We're a little bit behind in what we um, projected for budgeted givings for the year. And so today, I just want to update you a little bit on something that as we've monitored our giving and we've looked forward to where we want to be in the fall... We would like at this point to take a pause and say, we want to receive a special summer offering to help us uh, top up our giving as we head into summer. Because summer, most people are away, and giving goes down a little bit in the summer, and we want to be in a strong position as we get into the fall. So we are going to receive, on July 9th, a summer WOW offering. What does WOW stand for? It's really creative and original. The widow's offering. WOW. Okay, so for lack of creativity, we're calling it a summer wow offering that we are inviting you to join us in participating in. So at this point, we are 3% behind in our budgeted giving. So not far off, but I want to remind you that we passed a budget this year at our AGM that actually uh, set us up to draw from our cash reserves. We are running it, offsetting a budget, in hopes that as we came out of COVID, we would rebound and recover. And we haven't recovered as much as we had hoped, but we are encouraged by the fact that as the dust has settled, we know where we're at, who we are, and we're seeing signs of growth happening. And so we're moving forward. And and it's, it's okay to talk about this because lots of you have said to me, personally, like, wow, like, we're so much smaller than we used to be. Yeah, we really are, because we made some decisions during COVID that got very political, and I don't know if you're familiar with the politics that happened during COVID, but maybe you heard about some of it. And so the reality is, this is where we are, but we're encouraged with kind of where we are now, and we're moving forward, but we want to go into the fall Uh, being able to be in a strong position. And uh, so that's about um, just highlighting for you our desire to receive this offering. We've been through a 100-year flood event. I would just liken COVID to a 100-year flood event. And we're inviting you to join us in the recovery efforts. Okay? Here's what we're excited about. I just want to paint a little picture for you. There's some really cool signs of growth. Our children's ministry is growing. Our youth ministry is growing. If you take the children and the youth, so all the kids under 18 that are part of this congregation, they're almost 40% of who we are, 30 to 40%. You can say, well, Paul, we've shrunk a lot. Yeah, but that's a really healthy sign and is really fun. And it's because of some really dedicated volunteers have really stepped up and invested in our young people, and I'm so excited about that. We have people that are saying, hey, I'd like to get involved and help in this and this, and we're seeing more people. A lot of you have been tired and exhausted, and we've been really intensely trying not to add more, but as you're getting rested and recovering, beginning to recover from COVID, we're seeing people step up, wanting to volunteer, and that's a good sign And there's some really good ideas that we've been hashing around that we want to begin um, moving towards as we go into the fall and into next year. And we'll certainly be inviting you into that conversation um, in the future. So these are some signs that we're seeing that are really healthy and really good. And then this brings me to the point that I I just think it's interesting timing how today uh, in the text I was going to be talking about the sacrificial giving of the widow and uh, maybe we could have had this conversation earlier, but I think God's often involved in the timing. And so I think today is a great day to invite you to consider uh, the politics of sac- sacrificial giving. This widow models for us what I call equal sacrifice, not equal giving. And it's a concept that I think is so healthy in the church that together, we can all make a sacrifice for God's kingdom and do it through the local church that you call your family as opposed to all giving the same. Obviously, we can't all give the same. But I think sometimes we, we think in percentages. So if you've grown up in the church a long time, you think, well, I've got to give 10%. And I need you to understand something. 10% for you might be okay, but for somebody else, that would be the difference between paying rent and eating. And they can't give 10%. But there are people here not giving 10%, and I don't know who gives what, but I just hear that there are people that are giving, and and I think they're giving sacrificially. And they have very little. And there are people who are quite well off that are giving sacrificially, and they're making huge investments in the kingdom. And we want to say thank you And I'm setting all this up to say, together, when all of us make the politics of sacrificial giving part of our daily existence, it influences the way that we give as well. And in this family, it's going to uh, all add up, a lot of small amounts add up to huge success. We're asking everyone to consider this. We're asking our youth Even kids, this is part of their church too. And we are so committed to this that I I want to share this with you because as we've looked at our budget and as we look at the end of the year and where we want to be, and that we haven't recovered the same that we want to, but we're feeling good about things, we realize you know, we're gonna have to adjust our budget for the next six months. But we have such a unique voice in this community in our New Life family. And we offer this unique, uh, Jesus-centered way of approaching life and the ministries that we're involved in. People won't find anywhere else that we really believe that God is leading us into just a whole new stage of newer life instead of just new life. But we're so convinced on that, and we're so committed to this family, Steve and I are also, just as leaders, um, wanting to lead by example. And so for the summer, starting in July, we're going to scale back our hours as part of our own giving to this, and we're going to both lead from our strengths and skills and passions and kind of job share a little bit, just to ease some of the, the strain as a way of saying we're committed to this and we're inviting you to be excited and join us in this effort to move forward. And as you do, we can immediately take these gifts and just continue to employ the ministry programs that we have through this summer and then into the fall. So Sunday, July 9th, we want to receive an offering. You might not be here You might be away on vacation, but guess what? We told you about it today so that you could give ahead if you're not going to be here and and receive this wow offering. All the offerings will go to our general fund, which is going to allow us to continue doing the ministry that we do through the summer and into the fall. So here's our goal for July 9th, $20,000 to raise in a single offering. And you might be thinking, how in the world could we do that? I wanted to show you, just with a table on the screen, how all of our small amounts, and I don't mean you have to give small, we want to encourage you to give sacrificially, but small amounts add up to huge success. And so I want to show you this table here, that how this could work out. That if we had one family, one person say, I'm going to give $5,000, and then we had a couple donations of families or people saying I could give 3000. This is over and above what you normally already give. Or five donations of 1000. Or how many of you think you could give at least 100 extra dollars because if 20 families gave 100 extra dollars that's 2000. We're all at different economic stages. So we realize we probably need some of you to say, you know what, we can do this, and we're going to give $5,000. Don't let me stop you at five if you want to give 10. But even for our teens, you could come up with $20 a month. $20 a month, which one was that? That's $500 over a six-month period. And so I just wanted to put this out there to say, would you take the next two weeks to pray? and say, we want to contribute to this because you're also passionate about this family and committed to it and excited about the unique voice that we offer in this region and that we all give together. How do you give? You can give online. Many of you do give online. You go to newlifecallingwood.com in the top right corner if you're on your computer. There's a big button that says give. If you're on your phone, you scroll. Click the menu, scroll down to give, and it'll take you to our church center. And in the drop-down menu from our church center giving platform, we've actually created a wow offering. Remember, widow's offering, wow. And you're going to give that. It's so creative. You're going to give to that. And what we're asking is if you can't give all at once, would you make a pledge for the next six months that this is how much you think you can give over the next six months, over and above what you're already giving? So I've got two of our teens who are part of our program and committed. They're going to stand at the doors at the back, and they're going to give you a pledge card. And we're going to ask if you would take a card per family, and then in the next two weeks, pray and discuss. And then on the 9th, we'll receive those offerings. If you're giving online, please indicate um, that it's the WOW offering. If you're giving through e-transfer, you might need in the memo to just put WOW offering and then we can know kind of on the ninth, uh, what we've done, how we've done that. And we want to say thank you for your generosity and for prayerfully contributing towards this special offering. We really are excited about where we're heading and what God's doing um, now but also down the road. And we're just inviting you to be part of this really cool recovery effort. At the end of the day, Jesus and the widow show you what your politics and religion should look like. Let's pray. Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna. Lord, send us now success. Blessed are those who come in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Jesus taught us saying, there is no need to be afraid, little flock, because your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Lord, show us who we are. Show us what we can do when we trust you completely. Open our eyes to see the world around us and the need for us to be Jesus to this world. Open our hearts to become fully devoted to you. Open our hands to give. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our Lord. And now all glory, praise, and honor be given to Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.